Welcome to episode 144 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for January 28th, 2010. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. On this week's episode of the Fredcast, a seven-year-old raises money for Haiti by using his bicycle. Initial results of the use of Portland's bike boxes... Los Angeles studying a cyclist bill of rights, Beijing trying to lure cyclists back onto its streets, and pro cycling news. Following the news, Facebook hate group controversy, Team United Healthcare's training camp fundraisers, banning cell phones for drivers, and a product review of the Sufferfest. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike hammer just a little bit harder, because here comes the Fredcast. Hey, fellow Freds, welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast. Great to have you with us. Now, before we get into the news tonight, I want to thank our new sponsor, Jensen USA. If you're not familiar with Jensen USA, it's time to start getting familiar. Jensen USA is one of the finest cycling mail order and retail companies in the industry. According to Jensen USA, and this is true, you can find just about anything you need for whatever bike you ride and still have money left over for superfluous stuff, you know, like food. If you go to www.thefredcast.com, you're going to see a new banner link for Jensen USA. It says simply, stop bleeding cash. They've got a great deal this week, for instance, on a brand new Easton EC90 SLX Three road handlebar. Your price, just $100. That's 60% off. The manufactured suggested retail price of $249.99. Go ahead and check it out. You're saving $149.99 on a great road handlebar. You can go to jensenusa.com slash thefredcast or go to www.thefredcast.com and click on the new Jensen USA link. And by the way, these guys are awesome. They told me if you go there and there's something that you really want and you can't find it, well, they'll consider carrying it. Just send an email to thefredcast at gmail.com with the subject line suggestions for Jensen and I'll send your suggestions their way. Thanks so much to Jensen USA for being the newest sponsor here on the Fredcast, and thank you for supporting jensenusa.com slash thefredcast. Of course, this show is also sponsored by listeners just like you. Those listeners who have gone on to thefredcast.com and clicked the Make a Donation button or just clicked one of the banner ads, whether it's Jensen USA, Amazon, Delta Airlines, Epic Rides, iTunes, Road ID, Tiger GPS, Map My Ride. Every little bit counts. Thank you so much for your support. And now, let's get to the news for this week's episode of the Fredcast. On last week's show, we talked about Lance Armstrong's appeal to folks to donate money to the relief efforts after the tragic earthquake that hit Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And it seems that a little boy in England, in London specifically, has taken that to heart. Young Charlie Simpson from Fulham, West London, rode his bike five miles, just eight kilometers around South Park near his home to raise funds for UNICEF's Just Giving website, specifically to send the money to Haiti. Initially, he was planning to raise 500 pounds in this effort, but when people around the country and literally around the world heard about what young Charlie was doing, they all pitched in and gave money to Charlie's Just Giving website, yielding more than, at last count, more than 70,000 pounds toward the relief effort in Haiti. As a result, UNICEF thanked him, quote, on behalf of the many children in Haiti. On his Just Giving webpage, Charlie's quoted as saying, quote, I want to do a sponsored bike ride for Haiti because there was a big earthquake and loads of people have lost their lives. I want to make some money to buy food, water, and tents for everyone in Haiti. 
According to UNICEF, the money raised by Charlie's efforts will go towards its Haiti Earthquake Children's Appeal. And of course, besides donation, Charlie's website was flooded with all sorts of messages of support. According to the BBC, there was one donor who said, Well done, Charlie. You're an inspiration to us all. One donor who read about him from New Zealand described the act as an awesome act of kindness. Another donor said, We're cheering you on from Hong Kong. Just another amazing way that people are not only using bikes to help others. Think of all the charity rides that so many of us have been involved in, but also just another way that people are sending their love and their kindness to the people of Haiti. And if you'd like to give to Charlie's Just Giving webpage yourself, I've put a link in the show notes to this week's show, episode number 144. Good for you, Charlie. Chapeau. By the way, when I researched that story uh, about Charlie, I um, initially wrote down that he'd raised over 70,000 pounds through his website. As I was checking the link in the show notes, I clicked into Charlie's Just Giving website. As of right now, it's 9.40 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Thursday. As of right now, Charlie has raised over 185,996 pounds. That's just awesome. In the fall of 2007, two cyclists in the Portland, Oregon area were killed in so-called right hook accidents, uh, accidents where motorists turned right in front of them and therefore causing those cyclists' death. As a result, the city of Portland, uh, since 2008, has installed so-called bike boxes at 14 intersections throughout the city that were identified as potential problem areas. Now, these bike boxes are green areas on the road, about 14 feet long, that cost about $6,000 to install, and they're intended to reduce the chance that motorists might make a right turn into the path of cyclists in bike lanes. And what is intended to happen is that when a red, when a light turns red, first, motorists are not allowed to make a right turn, contrary to a lot of rules here in the United States, where on a red light, most motorists are allowed to stop make sure that it's safe, and then make their right turn. In this case, no right turn on red. Second, only bike riders are allowed to stop in these bike boxes. And cars and trucks have to stop at a 24-inch line behind the boxes, therefore isolating the cyclists, making them more visible, and hopefully making them more safe. Drivers who enter the boxes or who make a right turn could end up with what I consider to be a pretty paltry $24 fine. Now, preliminary analysis of a study at Portland State University says that these new bike boxes kind of have mixed results. The study looked at over 918 hours of video shot at 12 of these 14 intersections. And unfortunately, the analysis hasn't shown that there was a significant reduction in conflicts between vehicles and bikes. Still, 90% of 717 motorists in Portland were polled for the study, and they said that they knew how the bike boxes work, and more than half said that they think that these boxes make intersections safer for cyclists. Meanwhile, 43% of motorists said that the bike boxes make intersections less convenient, and honestly, that statistic troubles me. 43% of the people saying that the intersections are less convenient means that that's 43% of the people who are feeling a little bit more animosity towards cyclists, and that kind of bothers me. Now, here's a non-surprising statistic. The vast majority of the 468 cyclists surveyed said that the boxes were a benefit more than 80% said drivers are more aware of them at intersections. According to Rob Birchfield, the head traffic engineer in the city of Portland, more boxes may be installed this year. More surveys and more studies are ongoing. We'll see how those results come out. I kind of like the idea myself. Uh, I like having that buffer zone from motorists. We all know in cities that where we've ridden of certain intersections that are 
trouble or potential trouble, and installing these buffer zones or these bike boxes could be a great idea. Let me know if these bike boxes are being installed where you live and what results you've seen from their installation. And speaking of cities whose streets are not always incredibly friendly towards cyclists, the Los Angeles, California City Council instructed its attorneys yesterday to look at the feasibility of constructing what some have called a bicyclist's bill of rights in the City of Angels. The idea being that taking a city like Los Angeles that has certainly gotten a black eye when it comes to the safety of cyclists, what with the Dr. Christopher Thompson story that we've been talking about so much here on the Fredcast, they're looking at ways to not only improve their image, but take a little bit of the car culture out of the streets of LA and help protect cyclists with ordinances that might help with things like prohibiting acts such as throwing objects, deliberately passing within three feet, and engaging in threatening or risky conduct. What's also interesting is I've been reading a lot of stories lately about the new chief of police of the Los Angeles Police Department, Chief Charlie Beck, and how he has been making efforts to improve the relationship between his department and the cyclists of the city of Los Angeles. As someone who has spent a lot of time cycling in and around the city of LA, I can say that moves like this from the city council from the chief of police, and from others in that city are extremely welcome. Lots of stories this week about the Sharrows, those special lanes in the city of Long Beach, also in Southern California, that are intended to help protect cyclists on those city streets. A lot of good news coming out of Southern California in light of a lot of recent bad news coming out of Southern California about cyclists. We'll be watching this one very carefully and hopefully We'll be seeing some really great things coming from the city council of the city of Los Angeles. Stay tuned. And from Los Angeles to another sprawling metropolis across the Pacific Ocean, Beijing. Beijing has been known by many for years as being the capital of bike culture, considering the fact that 25 years ago, four out of five residents in Beijing pedaled to work along the streets of that sprawling city. Today, however, as was evidenced by the Beijing Olympics, cars have overtaken the streets of Beijing and there are fewer and fewer cyclists. As a result, the pollution levels in the Chinese capital have soared to some of the worst in the world. As a result, municipal officials in Beijing want to boost the number of bicyclists by 25% during the next five-year plan. According to the Xinhua News Agency, the government hopes to improve the infrastructure for bicycles, including restored bike lanes and new rental programs providing 50,000 bikes for rent by the year 2015. Municipal authorities plan more bike parks near bus and subway stations in the expectation that half of the city's residents will travel to work by public transport in just five short years. Some, however, are skeptical about the new ambitious plan to get 25% more bikes on the road in the next five years because just a few years ago, four years ago, in fact, the construction ministry said that any bike lanes that had been narrowed or destroyed to make way for cars had to be returned to their original state. Civil servants were also encouraged to cycle to work or take public transport. Since then, however, instead of increasing the number of bikes, the number of cars in Beijing has increased by more than 25% to pass the 4 million mark. And last year, China overtook the United States to become the world's biggest car market. So while this plan is ambitious and one that should be lauded, there is much pessimism still. We'll see what happens in 2015. Moving on to professional cycling news, you'll recall that on the last episode of the Fredcast, Andre Greipel was leading the tour down under for 2010 and that Team Sky was making a great showing. Well, just as the tour down under began, so it ended with Andre Greipel winning the overall general classification in 18 hours, 47 minutes, and 5 seconds. Second place going to Luis Leon Sanchez from Spain and Castaparna 11 seconds behind the German Greipel. 
In third, Greg Henderson from Team Sky, 15 seconds back. And Team Sky having an extremely strong race in what is the inaugural race for that team with both Chris Sutton and Greg Henderson taking first and second place in the final stage six event. In addition to Greg Henderson taking third, Robbie McEwen from Australia and Team Katusha was in fourth place, 17 seconds back, and Luke Roberts from Australia in fifth at the same time as McEwen. 21 seconds back, Australia's own world champion, Cadell Evans, in sixth place. Seventh place, going to Eduard Vorganov from Russia and Team Katusha, 25 seconds back of Greipel. In eighth, Jurgen Rollins from Belgium and the Omega Pharma Lotto team, 26 seconds back. In ninth, Robbie Hunter from Team Garmin in the same time as Jurgen Rollins. And in tenth, Marcus Foten from Germany and Team Milram, 27 seconds back. This is Andre Greipel's second win in three years at the Tour Down Under. Last year, he did not finish the race after suffering a shoulder injury when he collided with a parked police motorcycle during the race. At the end of the race, he was quoted as saying, I'm really happy and for the team as well. The team did a really good job. I'm just really happy. And for those of you who are wondering where America's own Lance Armstrong from Team Radio Shack finished, he was one minute three seconds behind race winner Andre Greipel in 25th place. As I mentioned, Luis Leon Sanchez from Castaparna took second place in the overall GC at the Tour Down Under this year. Castaparna, however, has decided that they will not be renewing their sponsorship of their Pro Tour cycling team at the end of this season. Remember, Sanchez's teammate on that team is also Alejandro Valverde. Valverde, having been banned from cycling in Italy, Uh, last May as a result of his alleged connection to the Operation Puerto scandal. Now, there is no indication that the Valverde suspension, or pardon me, the Valverde ban in Italy had anything to do with Castaparna's departure from sponsorship of the team. Instead, Martinez said that Castaparna has been thinking about its sponsorship's options for quite some time. Castaparna now joins Saxo Bank, as the second major sponsor to announce their pullout from the sponsorship of their Pro Tour teams in the last couple weeks. And as two corporate giants pull out of professional cycling in Europe, the corporate giant here in the United States is entering the world of professional cycling. Eichmann Cycling LLC announced a partnership with Yahoo to form the Yahoo Cycling Team. They're based in Northern California, and the team plans to race the majority of its season on the West Coast and a portion of the national racing calendar. And if they do well this year, in 2010, they plan to move on to the continental status in 2011. According to Kevin Klein, the owner of Eichmann Cycling and the Yahoo Cycling team general manager, quote, we're excited to launch this team in a community that is as enthusiastic about cycling as we are. Both our young riders and experienced cyclists alike are eager to get our season underway and establish ourselves as a dominant elite team. Now, the Yahoo Cycling team is composed of some up-and-coming young talent and some experienced veteran cyclists, including two-time Olympian Dirk Copeland, Patrick Briggs, Brian Bosch, and Kevin Klein, owner of Eichmann Cycling and the general manager of the team, Kevin, formerly of Rock racing. Now, Eichmann Cycling is owned by Kevin Klein. They're based in Northern California, and their training camp will be held in San Luis Obispo January 29th through the 31st, with racing beginning the following weekend in Northern California. They've partnered with Fuji Bicycles for 2010 and 2011, and the team will be riding Fuji's top-of-the-line road and time trial bikes. For more information, the team's fan book page, and their Twitter site. Go to www.thefredcast.com and click on the show notes for this show, episode number 144. Hey, do you remember last year after the Tour de France, there was a whole row that occurred between the UCI and the AFLD, or the French Anti-Doping Agency? Well, as a result of that whole dust-up, they've decided, well, the UCI has decided that the AFLD will not be involved in drug testing 
at the 2010 Tour de France. During an interview at the Tour Down Under, UCI President Pat McQuaid said that the sport's governing body is in talks with WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, about collaborating on the tour. He was quoted as saying, quote, next July, the UCI will carry out the tests and we are in discussions with WADA so that it sends its observers to supervise the UCI's work during the race. Continuing, McQuaid said, quote, the Tour de France is the biggest cycling event in the world and we want to preserve it. Continuing, McQuaid said, every aspect of our work will be scrutinized. I want to say that tour organizers ASO completely agree with us. I must protect our sport. I do not accept doping in cycling. It is unacceptable, but cycling is the sport that has been making the biggest efforts, and I cannot accept AFLD. Now, there's no word yet on whether or not the AFLD will be involved in ASO's other events, including such events as Paris-Nice, Paris-Roubaix, and the Dauphiné Libéré. But according to McQuaid, quote, we are in talks with the president of the French Cycling Federation because the French Cycling Federation is responsible for the controls on those races, but no decisions have been made. And finally tonight, a good news story about a professional cyclist, a city, and business. This evening, Thursday, January the 28th, Levi Leipheimer was named Santa Rosa, California's Businessman of the Year. This designation coming from the Santa Rosa Chamber of Commerce. He received the honor at the Chamber's annual banquet this evening, in large part because of his Grand Fondo in 2009, an extremely popular and sold-out event that drew over 3,000 riders and brought an estimated economic and revenue impact to the city of nearly $1.3 million. Congratulations to Levi Leipheimer on this designation, another great award for a great cyclist. And with that inspirational business and cycling story, that ends the news for this week's episode of the Fredcast. Now, before we get to this week's features, a reminder and a sponsor. First, the reminder, I want to remind you about our trip to the French Alps, August 21st through the 28th this year. We are going to do some of the most scenic, some of the most spectacular, some challenging, but fantastic riding in the world through some of well, some of the routes that you know extremely well from the Tour de France, including, yes, of course, the Alpe d'Huez. We're doing this with Viva Travels. For more information, go to the show notes or go to www.vivatravels.com and sign up today. Oh, yeah, and don't forget, we're going to be going there with Olympic cyclist and Tour de France cyclist Tyler Hamilton, and he's going to be providing you with some free training in the run-up to the event. It's going to be a great event, and I can't wait to ride in the Alps with you, August 21st through the 28th. Oh, second announcement. Did you hear the one about the four cyclists who walk into the bar? Well, that's the intro to the new VeloReviews.com podcast hosted by yours truly. We did our first episode nearly two weeks ago, and we're getting ready this Sunday to record our second episode. The first episode was well-received, although a little bit long, and we're working on that. But I think that you'll, if you enjoy the Fredcast, if you enjoy the Spokesman, I think you're going to enjoy the Velo Reviews podcast. Go to VeloReviews.com for more information or simply subscribe on iTunes. And yes, of course, links are in the show notes. I also want to take this opportunity to thank another sponsor here at the Fredcast, and that is Epic Planet. I've talked to you about their Epic Rides DVDs where you have the opportunity from the comfort of your basement as you're on your, your trainer, your mag trainer, your wind trainer, your compu trainer, your rollers to ride through some spectacular scenery and get a great workout, whether it's riding through Acadia National Park or Vermont or Tucson. You are going to see some spectacular cinematography be cycling through some amazing locations, and get a great workout. Plus, 
Epic Planet has the Epic Planet Fredcast bundle for you, which includes two great releases for $39.95. You'll get Epic Tucson Mount Lemon and Epic Tucson Saguaro East. Normally, this would be a $60 value. Instead, you're getting it for $39.95. You can go to epicplanet.tv slash fredcast underscore bundle or just go to the fredcast.com and click on the show notes for episode 144 and click on the link for the Fredcast Tucson bundle. Whether you buy the Tucson bundle or any Epic Rides DVD, I know from experience because I use their DVDs myself that you will not be disappointed. You know, last week in the intro to the show, I teased a story about a controversy that's going on on Facebook that has to do with a hate group, or what I term a hate group, against cyclists. Unfortunately, that segment of the show just didn't make it in. However, I still want to tell you about that story. You see, a couple of weeks ago, a number of astute cyclists on Facebook noticed a group called, there's a perfectly good path right next to the road, you stupid cyclist, and noticed that the group had over 30,000 members and that the page included lots of incendiary and hateful statements encouraging injury to cyclists on the road. Well, a couple of astute cyclists and friends of mine decided to start their own Facebook fan page called Help Remove This Hate Group Against Cyclists. As of this evening, The good page, as I'll call it, has 44,000-plus members. The bad has 37,000, almost 38,000 members. Many of them, however, uh, are now cyclists who have infiltrated the group to try to defend cyclist rights out on the road. The disturbing thing is that many of us went onto Facebook and clicked the little link to report the group as hate speech. And... Uh, Streets Blog, which is an online blog talking about safe streets, contacted Facebook and asked whether the group violates their terms of use. Specifically, Section 6 and 7 under the term safety, Section 6 reading, you will not bully, intimidate, or harass any user. And Section 7, which says you will not post content that is hateful, threatening, pornographic, or that contains nudity or graphic or gratuitous violence. Facebook's Simon Axton responded to Streets Blog and said that they reviewed the the page and have determined that it did not violate their terms of use. Specifically, he said, quote, we've reviewed this group and determined that it doesn't violate our policies. We encourage users to report anything they feel does violate these policies using the report links located throughout the site. Well, my personal opinion is, yes, here in the United States, we do have free speech. And I will defend your right to say whatever you would like to say. In this case, however, this Facebook page included images that are so patently offensive Give you an example. Do you remember a couple of years ago when there was a race, a cycling race down in Mexico, and a drunk driver plowed into a group of cyclists, killing several and injuring many, and the pictures of the car plowing into those cyclists, which were quite graphic and very disturbing, were included as part of this page. Obviously, there, not just to inst- to inflame cyclists, but also perhaps to incite others into action. I believe that this site or this page on Facebook should be reported and hopefully removed. If you believe the same, join the good page, report the bad page. If you disagree with me, let me know. I'll be happy to air your comments right here on the Fredcast. Meanwhile, turning to something really wonderful, Many of you, I'm sure, are aware of Team United Healthcare. They have riders such as Rory Sutherland, Chris Baldwin, Tim Johnson, Carl Menzies, and several others, names that you know extremely well, some of the top cyclists, at least here in the United States. United Healthcare's team 
is joining forces with United Healthcare's Children's Foundation to raise money for that extremely worthy cause. Several ways that you can get involved. First, you're invited to the team training camp in Scottsdale, Arizona. But in order to actually be able to participate, the two most generous donors up to January 31st, so you only have a couple of days left, will be awarded a VIP spot at the training camp over the weekend of February 13th through the 14th. This will include a hotel stay, two training rides with the team, dinner, and a seat at the team presentation hosted by Dave Toll. For more information, go to the Team United Healthcare fundraiser site or their Facebook fan page, both of which are in the show notes for tonight's show. Perhaps you'd like to go to the team presentation. There are a limited number of tickets available to the public for $175 apiece with proceeds going to the United Healthcare Children's Foundation. Finally, they've invited all cycling fans and friends to become fans of Team United Healthcare on Facebook and are giving away some great prizes such as a team issue quota frame and fork, edge carbon wheel set, SRAM Red Grupo, and lots of other prizes simply by becoming a Facebook fan. So once again, go to the show notes, become a Facebook fan, and learn more about these great fundraisers. On last week's show, we talked, perhaps ad infinitum, about the use of iPods while riding your bike and got a lot of opinions on both sides of the issue. You may recall that one of the listeners who wrote in was listener Neil, and he posted his commentary on his Pedals, Arrows, and Spirit blog. And I've got a link in the show notes to where you can find that. But it got me thinking because I recently read an article in our local paper about the use of cell phones while driving. And as a result of that article, And as a result of all of your comments about using an iPod while cycling, I wrote the following commentary about the use of cell phones while driving. On the last show, we talked about whether or not we as cyclists should use earbuds while riding our bikes on roads and trails. As evidenced by the number of emails I read on the last show, and those were only the tip of the iceberg, this was an extremely hot topic among you, the listeners. Tonight, I'm going to tackle what I think will be an equally hot topic, one that flares tempers, raises blood pressures on both sides of the issue. My take on this may surprise and shock some of you, so hold on to your earbuds, especially if you're riding your bike. The other day, an article appeared in the Salt Lake Tribune, for the record, not my favorite daily newspaper. Sorry, TiVo girl. The article proclaimed that a new study had been released by the University of Utah that proves that drivers talking on cell phones are, quote, blind to traffic conditions, not because their eyes don't work, but because their brains are tied up in phone talk rather than paying attention to what they see ahead, unquote. Further research from the National Safety Council indicates that 28% of all traffic accidents are caused when people talk on cell phones or send text messages while driving. The study concludes that a vast majority of those crashes, 1.4 million of them, are caused by cell phone conversations while an additional 200,000 are blamed on text messaging. Now, I know that this is going to sound shocking to some of you, and I certainly would like to hear your comments on this. But, and here it comes, I am not in favor of cell phone bans for drivers. Haven't we learned that in today's world, studies and surveys can be designed to indicate whatever their designers want them to? I have no doubt that there are a population of drivers who can't drive and chew gum at the same time, let alone talk on their cell phones. But, as someone who does quite a bit of driving every day, why should I be penalized for the ineptitude or lack of mental capacity to drive safely while communicating by others. Now, when I say that I do quite a bit of driving every day, I think most of you know that I drive in challenging mountain conditions, including snow, sleet, hail, and rain, and that I drove for decades in Los Angeles, the capital of car culture, with all of its attendant unique risks, not to mention that I've driven on four continents and ridden my bike tens of thousands of miles in all 
of these challenging environments. Despite all of that, I still don't think that we should ban cell phones or the use of cell phones by drivers. Let me clarify. Do I believe that people should be allowed to use handheld cell phones while driving? Absolutely not. When you hold the phone to your ear, you've not only removed half of your ability to manipulate the driving controls properly, but you've also effectively eliminated a significant portion of your visual range. Try it. Hold your hand up to your ear as if you were holding your cell phone. You've blocked part of your peripheral vision. And what I see more often than not is when people are holding those phones up to their ears, it's almost as if they've, they've got a neck brace on. They won't turn their head from side to side. It's possible, folks. You can hold the phone and turn your head, but people won't do it. And the fact that you eliminate the significant portion of your visual range is just plain stupid. The visual range issue is one of the biggest reasons why I as a cyclist fear drivers using handheld cell phones. Face it, we've all had issues with drivers who couldn't or didn't see us because their cell phone or their lack of being able to move their head while talking on their cell phone blocked their vision of us. I also want to be clear that I am a firm believer in bans on texting, tweeting, Facebooking, and anything else that causes the driver to not only take a hand off the wheel or hands off the wheel, but also to concentrate on typing, looking at a screen, correcting typos, etc. Do I believe in this? You bet your Blackberry. Honestly, have I been a violator? You bet your iPhone. And I got to tell you, I've seen some of those videos where people are distracted. I will not violate anymore. As an avid cyclist, I've had my share of issues with drivers with or without cell phones and have had more brushes with injury and death than I care to count. Despite this, I am not in favor of abandoning the use of cell phones while driving, but What I am in favor of is a law that requires hands-free devices. Okay, a couple more reasons why I don't support a patent ban on all cell phone use. First, I believe, as Neil said in his commentary last week and on his blog, that talking on a cell phone is no different than talking to the person sitting next to you in the passenger seat. A competent driver, a competent driver, using a hands-free device is in absolutely the same position as one who's speaking to the person in the passenger seat. I can't imagine someone wants to ban that, do they? Second, there are a myriad number of things drivers do while on the road that cause distractions, including, you've seen all of these, eating, putting on makeup, shaving, fiddling with the radio, engaging their GPS navigators, dealing with noisy children, dogs, you name it. Are we prepared to ban all of those things? Or... Wouldn't it just be better to enforce the laws that already exist to punish those who engage in distracted driving? Are we planning on legislating against applying makeup? Against eating a burger or a burrito? No. And yet, I'd wager that there is a large number of drivers on the road right now doing those exact things. Finally, And this may be a stretch. I don't think so. As a private pilot, as I have been, although I haven't manipulated the controls of an airplane in a number of years, when I fly an airplane, I'm talking to air traffic controllers on the radio, concentrating on maps, approach charts, GPSs, airport directories, tuning navigation and communication radios, setting navigation instruments, checking, rechecking, and constantly scanning instruments, maintaining spatial awareness, listening to controllers and other pilots around me to create a mental picture of the locations of other aircraft around me. Oh, yeah! And I also need to manipulate the controls of the aircraft, keep the shiny side up, the wings level, see and avoid other aircraft and terrain, and yet despite all of these distractions, somehow I've managed to have an equal number of takeoffs and landings, all of them safe and uneventful. The point is that the simple act of communicating isn't, in my opinion, the major distraction or the boogeyman that it's made out to be. Look, there are risks in everything we do in life, and getting behind the wheel of a car or clipping into the pedals of our bikes are already high up on the list of things that we do that have inherent risks. We accept those risks and mitigate them as best we can. What we should not do, however, 
is engage in knee-jerk reactions and blanket bans all in the name of reducing or eliminating risks. Those are fallacies. They're fantasies that simply won't come to pass. We'll ban the use of cell phones and then move on to further bans, further limiting our liberties, and further penalizing the many who can because there are some who can't. The bottom line, if everyone used a hands-free device and knew when to talk and when to be quiet, there wouldn't be an issue. Do I talk on the phone when I'm in the middle of a blizzard, when there's icy conditions on the road, whether hands-free or not? No. Just as when I have passengers in the car and I'm in challenging conditions, I ask everybody to stop talking. We turn off the radio and I concentrate on the task at hand. Just like pilots who have a sterile cockpit rule below 10,000 feet, simply because they know that they can't be distracted at those points. It's time for us to draw the line and tell our governments that they need to stop trying to be our nannies. At the same time, we all owe a responsibility to our fellow citizens and our fellow road users to drive safely and without distractions. If both of these things are accepted as facts of life, laws like the ones being proposed would be unnecessary. That's my opinion. I'm passionate about it, as I think you can see. I'm curious to hear your passion. Finally tonight, we talk all the time here on the Fredcast about the fact when we're at this time of the year, many of us are stuck in our basements or in our living rooms or in our bedrooms on our trainers or our rollers, and we are droning along trying to maintain some semblance of fitness. But most of us are bored out of our minds. Now, I use a CompuTrainer. In a lot of ways, that helps me mitigate against the boredom. But I don't use the CompuTrainer alone. I've talked to you about a number of different video products that I have used while I have been on my CompuTrainer. I'll be honest. There are some products that I use, some CompuTrainer workouts, where the only way to keep from being bored in between intervals is to watch the television or to listen to my iPod or, in a lot of cases, both. And so I am constantly looking for a variety of cycling videos that will not only motivate me and provide me with a good workout, but will also keep me from being bored and having to resort to other entertainment options while I'm on the trainer. And I found yet another great example of these kinds of videos. And these are from the Sufferfest. Sufferfest videos are approximately an hour in length. They include, I'm not kidding, tough intervals, great videos, fantastic motivational music, and graphic instructions right there on the screen that taunt you into working your butt off. The first video I tried from the Sufferfest was called the Downward Spirals. The Downward Spiral simply refers to the types of intervals that you'll be doing in this video. It's 60 minutes long. It starts with a warm-up of about 10 minutes with footage from the Downhill Mountain Bike Championships in Australia and from the Cycling Tips blog of Criterium Racing. Then you get into the tough downward spiral intervals. Two sets with footage from the 2009 Paris-Roubaix and then some recovery and warm down with, again, some great footage. Mixed in among the footage is some very motivational music and on-screen instructions that, as I said earlier, taunt you into working your thighs off and sweating your face off. I don't think I've worked this hard uh, watching just a video in a long time. It's, I'm telling you, the, the, the instructions on the screen are like having a coach taunting you, screaming in front of your face like a drill instructor telling you, go for it. It, I, I was really, I'm not joking. I was really motivated by this video. It is just $9.50 as a digital download at thesufferfest.com. So, all right, 
I tried that one. And I thought the videos were, were interesting. They, they kept me engaged in the screen. No, I didn't use an iPod. No, I didn't turn on the television. And then I tried the second in the series called The Fight Club. The Fight Club also includes intervals. Most of these tempo style intervals where you're at a time trial effort, you're climbing, and then you have a recovery, and then you repeat. This video starts out with a five-minute warm-up featuring video along the Yarra River as you mountain bike near Melbourne, Australia, and then five laps of racing with footage from the 2009 UCI World Championship time trial and road race as you go head-to-head with Cadell Evans. In the first lap, you're doing some tempo riding, but in the second through the fifth lap, you've got four minutes at time trial effort, two and a half minutes of climbing, and three minutes of recovery. Mixed in in both of these videos are surprise attacks and extra intervals, all of which are given to you with clear instructions on screen and special, well, alert sounds to let you know when it's time to giddy up and hit the gas. I got to tell you, as I said, I've tried a lot of different videos, and there are only a few which still set next to my trainer, Downward Spiral and Fight Club, and whatever comes next from the Sufferfest are always going to be part of my training arsenal. I really enjoy these. And by the way, when I first got the video, I was a little, well, I was taken aback because here was official footage from some of the most famous and most popular races in 2009. And I thought, you know, did, did, did they actually get the licensing for this? And indeed they did. They got the licensing from the ASO, from the UCI, from others, even from our friend Marcus over at CycleFilm with some amazing downhill footage from some of Europe's most gorgeous mountain passes. These are some great videos that I think you'll enjoy adding to your collection and at $9.49 a piece for the individual versions, or $15.49 a piece for the group or class versions, how can you go wrong? www.thesufferfest.com. Check it out. I think you'll be glad you did. Oh, and by the way, this week on the upcoming episode two of the VeloReviews.com podcast. VeloReviews.com founder Jeff Helfand has an exclusive interview with David, the creator of the Sufferfest. I think you'll really enjoy it. Make sure that you tune in to listen to that interview on episode two of the VeloReviews.com podcast. And that review is going to do it for this week's episode of the Fredcast. Before we get out of here, I want to thank our sponsors, Jensen USA. Go to jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast. Check out their amazing deals on a wide variety of products for whatever bike you ride. Plus, go to epicplanet.tv slash Fredcast underscore bundle to get your Epic Tucson bundle and save $19.95 on two great videos. Plus, thank you for donating and clicking on those links on thefredcast.com. Click on those anytime. We thank you so much for your support. Before we get out of here, just a couple of reminders on how to stay in touch with the Fredcast between shows. Best way to know what's going on at any moment is to follow the Twitter feed. My Twitter handle is simply Fredcast. Of course, you can send an email to thefredcast at gmail.com or call the Fredcast listener hotline at area code 661-513-FRED. That's area code 661-513-3733 or go to our website at www.thefredcast.com for links, show notes, and all sorts of other information about the Fredcast. Well, tonight, as we did last week, our Podsafe Cycling Music is a track from the Sufferfest videos. Last week, we played The Watermarks, their song Remember to Forget. Tonight, we're playing the studio band Headliner and their song Aristocracy, both songs coming to us from Music Alley at music.mevio.com. 
Links are available in the show notes to where you can find more information on these songs and everything else we talked about on this week's episode of the Fredcast. We'll be back in a couple of days with another episode of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, but between this show and that, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride.